All right, so let me pray first. Um, Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy and just who you are. God, I pray for uh, Twee and Lou and the Bredesons. Um, I pray that you would heal their body and that they would get rest tonight. God, I thank you so much for the time that Justin and Aaron will get to spend with their family. I pray that you would just bless that time together. And God, for every person that is in here tonight, Lord, I pray that you would be with them, that um, you would give them peace and rest, and that you would keep them healthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Lynn, do you want to read a verse, and we'll go clockwise? Starting at nine, right? Mm-hmm. Nine to fifteen. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to keep with you in your belts. Clockwise. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to access, accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. Whenever you go. Whenever you enter a city or a village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your word, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I say to you, it will be more terrible on the day of judgments for the land of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. Gomorrah than for that town. Okay, so context, like, so last week we talked about how Jesus called his 12 disciples, we see their names, and then he essentially takes his disciples and he calls them apostles. So they're not just those who follow him, but now they're being sent out by him to go and bring healing and to preach the kingdom of uh, the good news. And so now you're getting essentially the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the instructions that he sends them out with. And so the first set of instructions here is like essentially don't take anything (laughs) extra. So my first question to us to think is if Jesus is sending them out, why would he tell them to not be prepared by bringing extra things like money, walking stick, cloak? So that they depend on Jesus for things. So they depend on Yeah, that's good. The sending out of disciples to go do ministry is, you know, um, Elizabeth hit it right on the head, is that they would have to depend on him and they would have to trust him. That he wasn't saying go out naked, like don't take any cloak or don't go dressed or go without shoes. But he was saying don't take extra stuff because I'm going to provide those things for you. And the act of sending someone out to do your work is an act of trust that they will do your work. But an act of being sent out and doing the work is an act of trust to the one who sent you out. And so this entire journey that Jesus has with his disciples in the next couple of weeks we're going to talk about this is that discipleship, a foundational part of discipleship and being a follower of Christ is trusting the one who sent you, trusting the one who calls you, trusting the one who will send you out. And so this idea, like, don't bring these extra things is I will provide those extra things. I will provide the things that you will need. When you go into a new place, I will provide a place for you to stay through my people. 
And so, like, as, so originally Martha was supposed to be teaching this message because she, um, but she got really sick and I found out around 1130 and so the entire medicine plan is sick and so I probably had until 4 to 6 to prepare so be gracious but this idea of God is constantly giving people opportunities to trust him that every adventure of being sent out by God to go do whatever he asks you to are opportunities where we will get the ability to say will you say yes or will you say no and when Martha and I was preparing for her to teach this week and one thing that we wanted to hit on or we talked about was this idea that um, it's easy to understand in church culture that God loves the obedient more. And if you say no, then God loves you less. But if you say yes, God loves you more. And this is I, this idea that I kind of want to stop and talk about because when I think about my kids, um, when... My kids are obedient or when they're disobedient, I don't love them any more or any less. Period. I love them because they're mine. I love them because it's an honor to be a mother. I love them because when they say yes, like we get to celebrate that and that is awesome. But when they say no, those are just more opportunities that Riley and I get to raise them up and to teach them and to kind of help shape them into the young women that they will be. But my love for them doesn't change. And so as a flawed, deeply flawed human being, if I look at my children that way, that if they say yes or if they say no, if they're obedient or they're disobedient, my level of love and commitment to them as their mother doesn't change, then how much more is God's love for us? But we will constantly be invited into spaces where God will send us and we will have to trust him. We will have to to trust that he will provide the things that we need. He will, we will have to trust that he will meet us in those spaces. And so he's sending out the 12 disciples and he's like, don't pack anything extra. I've got this. So indicating a level of trust to be sent out and to take those instructions. But it also could be indicating that he's probably sending them on a short mission trip. Because right before he was like, don't go out to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. Go first to the Jewish people. So go first locally. So locally doesn't mean you have to pack a large suitcase. Locally means you can just go out and you can just go do these things. But he's asking and inviting and he's sending them out. So you see in the next couple of weeks, it's going to be a series of just Jesus giving the disciples instructions on how, like what they can expect, what they should be prepared for, everything. And you don't really see the disciples' response other than the fact that we know that they went and they did it. But the response to trust God when he gives you opportunities is a response of choosing to trust even if you might not understand. Choosing to trust even if it doesn't make sense. Right? And so in the first couple of verses, he's saying, I'm going to provide these things for you. And that trust is foundational for being a part of God's work in the world. It is a paying kingdom work if we want to participate in it. We have to understand that it is an act of trust to say yes to every opportunity that we are given. Because every time we say yes, we trust more. It's like in a relationship where, um, like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, young single dating people. But in the beginning of a relationship, you have to trust that that person's going to come through. 
and you give them opportunities to come through. And if they don't come through, you learn something. But for the most part, it's a trust. Like, we are trust building right now. And every time they come through, you're, correct me if I'm wrong, your trust grows for them because they came through, they met you in that space, right? I remember when I was dating Riley, there were a lot of things where we had to develop a lot of trust because I had a lot of crazy baggage happening in my life. But every time he met me in that opportunity and that space, my trust in him grew, but his trust in me grew. And that is the thing is that that trust to send out, but that trust to be sent out is foundational in what we do as Christians, as believers. And every opportunity grows our relationship. And then this is kind of where I want to like take a pause. But this idea that Jesus does not, does not, well, that English is broken, but Jesus doesn't force us, but Jesus invites us. And that is the epitome of free will. The gift of salvation, the gift of choice, the gift to say, I will receive this gospel or not, is free will. Right? One of the biggest conversations. Have you guys ever heard the discussion where they're like, well, if God loves people, then why in the garden did he allow them to sin? Or why did he put them in a position, Adam and Eve, in a place where they could choose to disobey him. Have you guys heard that? So what do you think? Why would God allow these two that say that he loves, why would he even put them in a position to to make a decision or to even stray? How is that love? Don't shut me down now. I think the number one response that I've heard for that is that um, he didn't he wants us to love him and follow him and it's not love if it's forced mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right like I can't if I can't force my kids to love me like I don't want to have to force them but you were just me. fired today by cash <laughs> I was just fired today by cash <laughs> As a mother, yeah. <laughs> You're out. And I had to tell him that was okay. <laughs> but, like, eventually, hopefully he unfires me. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that has to be his choice, you mm-hmm. know, to love me and want to be, um, you know, in relationship with me. Because um, it's not, it's also not, like, really true love if you're forcing somebody to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also can't learn anything that way. Like even yeah. if I did force him somehow to love me, he there wouldn't be the whole learning experience mm. there. Mm. You know, between you know him firing me and and then realizing that I'm really not a bad mom, <laughs> and, and then realizing that he actually wants me back. You know, like there wouldn't be that whole um, experience where he gains knowledge and. Um, yeah. ability in like the world that's good what do you think Tristan I never really thought of that whole situation before um, whenever someone comes to me with that question I just say he lovingly lets you make your choice he lovingly lets you live that's good 
pretty well. Mm -hmm. It gives us to make that decision. And if you think through the Jesus' life, he is making that decision in response to his relationship with God the Father. That there were situations like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane cries out. It's like, if this couple should pass by me, but your will, not my will be done. That even he grieves what he knows is to come, which is a brutal execution, a brutal ending to three to four years of ministry. He goes to the cross and he dies by choice. Be in response to what he knows God is like, what God has called him to do. But exactly, it's like it's free will, and that is a dangerous <laughs> thing that people want to argue. Yeah, Jenna. Um, when you said that, it kind of made me think too. If he didn't give us the free will to choose, and he obviously already knew what was going to happen, yeah, he also would have never had the opportunity to send his son. So mm. we would have never known how deeply he loved us. Oh, that's good. Without that example of like, oh, he was, he didn't just create us and we're sitting around here and like, oh, that's great. Yay. We all get to love Jesus or God. But yeah. he actually got to set in motion the events that were like, I knew that this was going to happen. And you know this with your kids too. You yeah. know they're going to mess up. But like, he also got to send his son so that yeah. we could be like, he, it meant enough to him to send his son and have this whole thing happen. Yeah. That's so good. Like, I love you guys, but I would never sacrifice either of my children for you. Let's just set boundaries on our relationship. But this act of trust, Jesus trusting the will of the Father to go and to do these things. But I think, like, yeah, you're right. It's like, it's not love if it's forced. And even, like, everyday relationship with Jesus is an everyday decision and some days it's really easy to follow Jesus when things are great it's generally those are the times where it's really easy to follow Jesus but when things are really hard it is an everyday sometimes minute to minute sometimes hour to hour you're choosing to say yes to Jesus because it's in response for all the other times that God has shown up right you're building this relationship so he doesn't force us, but he invites us. And that in itself is this beautiful gift. Because when you are given an invitation, right? So Nico, you're invited to a party. You're given an invitation. First thought is, do I go or do I not go? Right? Like, you're like, do I, yes or no? And that is every opportunity that God gives us to participate in kingdom work. It's this invitation. And then we have a moment where we decide yes or no. God's love for us and does not lessen when we say no, and it does not increase when we say yes. But there is something beautiful when we say yes to God opportunities and to participate in what we were made to participate in. And I think about how I have never regretted a single circumstance where I said yes to Jesus. But I remember all the decisions that I've made where I wish I said yes to Jesus. And those are the things that I regret. But living in obedience to faith and to what I know about who God is, I have never regretted things even when I felt like it made me stupid or silly. For a short stint, I definitely did regret moving to Linden because I wasn't sure the Lord called me fully here and maybe I disobeyed by moving here instead of buying a shack in Bellingham. There was deep wrestling inside of me. 
But I think about, like, when we moved to Linden, so it was May 15th. I was on a prayer retreat in Whatcom County at Lake Whatcom, and I felt like the Lord said, do you trust me to catch you if I ask you to jump? And I said yes, because the week before I said no during another prayer meeting I was at. And I said yes this time, and immediately I knew that the Lord was calling us north. So I called Riley, and I said, I feel like God just spoke to me, and he spoke to you too, but we haven't said anything out loud because it's going to be nuts. And Riley goes, yeah, finish your prayer retreat and then come home. I finished my prayer retreat, May 15th. We sit down on the bed at 8.30 that night, and we both said, God's calling us to go north. And Riley goes, yeah. I called my pastor and I said, this is my resignation. The Lord is calling me to go north and I need to obey. And I don't share this story because I'm like, I'm super obedient. I share this story because I'm super disobedient. And if I didn't say yes then and make things happen, I would be like, no way. Like north, like north Seattle. Like we're already in Everett. What's after that? And then Tuesday we we sat down and we told the kids. And that was nuts because we said, you know, Carol's, God has asked your dad and I to do something wild, and we want to obey the first time, and we want to obey quickly, because that is what we teach our kids to do, to obey the first time, to obey quickly. And Kyrie looks at me. She was about to turn four. No, she was about to turn five. And she looked at me, and she goes, we're going to Bellingham. And I said, what? And she goes, God talks to me when I can't sleep at night. We're moving. Should I pack a box? And I'm like, no. No. <laughs> trying not to freak out and then I look at Kenzie just stared at her and I said Kenzie what do you think and she just looks at me and she goes meow because <laughs> she was playing a cat and she was not breaking character but she didn't cry so I assumed that was fine <laughs> so Wednesday we told the staff of the church Thursday we told the church Friday and Friday we met with the real estate agent Saturday we did work on our house Sunday we finished the work Monday photos of our house got taken so seven days later, Tuesday, our house went on the market. Wednesday, we sold it, and we packed our first trailer, and we headed north. Um, and we dropped everything off at Riley's parents' house. And we actually, they so graciously let our entire family stay with them because we just sold our house, and we didn't have a house. And I quit my job, and I didn't have a job. And Riley, like, didn't have his transfer at Costco yet. Um, because we went in there and they just said, we're not accepting any transfers. And in the middle of Costco, by the dried goods area, we stopped and we said, do we still believe that God is calling us to go north? And Riley and I both said, yes. So Riley used to wake up at 1 a.m. and drive from Linden to Marysville. And he did that for months. And we lived the dream with my Mm in-laws. (laughs) <laughs> like the dream and and I joke around and I say that uh, but like my in-laws are incredible um, and then we eventually found this house and we moved in and there were many nights where I didn't feel like this made sense because there are only so many opportunities in ministry and then there are significantly less as a woman in ministry so I left a thriving church almost full-time I was working 32 hours a week it was fantastic I had my group of friends my best friend was in the area we were raising our kids together and then I move up here and I have zero friends I have zero ministry job I 
it was hard and I and I doubted but I still trust that the Lord had called us to go so we went and I wrestle with that and I should we should acknowledge that following Jesus is hard and we will wrestle but we have to fall back on what do we know to be true that it is always worth it always worth it to follow Jesus my so my no isn't necessarily like a specific thing that someone asked me to do or that God asked me to do and I said no but I think for me um, in the ministry that I'm in like there was a time where I got pretty jaded about um, people in the ministry uh, and just my ability to handle them and all their stuff, <laughs> you know, because um, being in a women's ministry, um, when you start to meet women, a lot of times they want someone to be their friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can only handle having so many people want me to be their friend when I don't feel like I have enough to give mm-hmm. um, when I'm going through my own seasons. Um, especially if I feel like um, I'm not the one being called to be like, you know, like they mm-hmm. should be going to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Like they should be going to God, not to me. Um, and I was at a point where I didn't, I wasn't at a point of maturity where I knew how to handle that. Mm-hmm. And so instead of um, doing probably what I was supposed to, I just was like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And just kind of shut myself off from everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I still went and I still did like my duty, but I wasn't doing it wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that there was times in there that God was probably calling me to have relationship with certain people um, and be there for certain people and do certain things. And I just wasn't even, um, I think, in a place where I was willing to hear him mm-hmm. because I I was just like, I can't handle this right now. And I wouldn't even allow him the opportunity to give me the skills to handle it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm sure there's a lot of things I probably missed um, there. Um, And in the last few years, I've kind of been in a season of coming out of that. um, And learning those skills and learning um, how to manage that and do that. And I've been saying yes to a lot more things, but realizing that my yeses don't have to be these big, giant, like, you know, I don't have to take on a new ministry or like, yeah, I don't have good. to necessarily, like, I don't feel like I've ever been called to go on a missions trip, mm-hmm. but my yeses start in really small places, like, um, sending someone like a coffee gift card when mm-hmm. I know that they're really struggling with their mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, or meals when I know that, you know, they've got kids at home and are newly single parents or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and that's been kind of how I've been saying yes slowly. Mm -hmm. I really liked what you pointed out about small yeses that this, like last week, God is not there. God is not calling all of us to do the same things in our circle of influence, what he does call all people to do is go make disciples, his believers, to go make disciples. But our yeses can look very different. So, like, a yes in the realm, like, because he knows each of us so intimately. So, a small yes to one person might be a really big yes to another person. And a no to one person, a small no, might be a really big no to another person. And that is the beauty 
a relationship is the intimacy of knowing what that person is ready for. Like there are certain things, and I liken parenting to a lot of this, but when you're a parent, you just there's just certain things that you know your kids are ready for and not ready for, and loving them, guiding, guiding them through that, and just helping shape them in that arena. And I feel like God so lovingly shapes us in our arena and lovingly brings to us the things, little, medium, big, whatever it is, so that we would have opportunities to learn to trust him. Because if trust is foundational to following Jesus and following and doing kingdom work, then we can probably safely say that because it is foundational, God already knew we would struggle with it. So he's addressing very specific things like trust me with your provision, trust me with your safety. The idea of go to someone's house and stay there, if they're worthy, stay there. I would probably like, did anybody stop me like, that's real weird. Like, what do you mean? Just knock on someone's door? And if they don't look super, are you, knock on someone's door. So on the scale, like, 1 to 10, how worthy do you think you would rate yourself as? And is there an app that would tell me if you're safe? Right? Because, like, this idea is really weird, but it's so important for us to remember context and the cultural, like, kind of a deeper cultural understanding of why what he said to the disciples to go, knock, like, essentially go to someone's house. If they're worthy, stay with them. Like, to us... Like, when was the last time you knocked on someone's house that you didn't know? I was like, can I just, like, crash? Yeah, can I just crash at your house for a little bit? Is that weird? (laughs) Lindsay, Lindsay's like, definitely weird. (laughs) So context is this, is that in the, in, like, in the time that Jesus existed and walked the earth in, in the Greco-Roman, like, time, and in even Jewish tradition, like, you know how we say, like, southern hospitality is kind of, like, good hospitality? Like, there's just something about southern hospitality that makes you think they're real good at it. Times this by a kajillion when it comes to the realm of hospitality in Jesus' time. So it was not weird to go to, like, to go into a town and to expect hospitality. And there are five different types of hospitality. One of them was a private hospitality, inviting somebody into your home. There was commercial hospitality, so like an inn. Those were starting to pop up. But even those situations were uncomfortable compared to private hospitality, having someone into your into your space. So this next level of hospitality where Jesus says, if any, oh, actually, I'm just stuck on next level hospitality right now. But this idea of treating a stranger like a friend was a form of this hospitality where if someone comes to your home and you invite them in and they stay with you as a friend, you build some you build this transactional relationship where if you let someone stay in your house, then it is essentially agreed that when you are traveling, they would let you stay at their house. And oftentimes these agreements were transgenerational, which means if I went and stayed at Jenna's house, then she can assume that she can stay at my house. But then that also assumes that my children can stay at her house and my grandchildren and so forth. Yeah, 
and so forth yours to mine it's that this like as that that hospitality is that deep building of relationship and trust and because the value of trust was so high that when somebody broke trust and they were acting unfitting of a guest in a home that was the breaking of that like that relationship and there were even some cases where if somebody stayed at your home and they were a great guest and you built that relationship, you would essentially could write a form of recommendation for them to like, so if Tristan was staying at our home and he was a great guest and I would, I could write a letter of recommendation and give it to Nico so that I could be like, hey, Nico, like Tristan's a really good house guest. So it's like old school Airbnb where you get to rate people who stay at your place and then you get to rate the place that stays there or like the place that you stay. But it was not weird to go and knock on someone's door and to go into a home and to stay there and trust that they would provide for you and trust that what the work that you were doing was worth, like you essentially your work was, was worth your keep there. And so that was just so weird to me. Because I'm like, I don't think we know hospitality that same way. Like, I would say I'm a very hospitable person. But if a stranger knocked on my door, or if somebody I barely knew knocked on my door and asked me to stay inside my home, I would hesitate because I would think about my children. I would think how safe that was. But essentially, this idea that we don't understand hospitality the same way as they understood hospitality is that it it was also there was this other form of hospitality where they believed that hosting people were essentially opportunities where it was like they were hosting divinity like that this person represented something Mm -hmm. and to have them in their home that that was a blessing upon their home to be able to welcome people in and when I read this I got super convicted because I would like to think I'm the type of person that holds everything that I have with open hands like whatever Lord everything you've given me I want to give back out like open hands but even the realm of hospitality that Jesus is like talking to the disciples about and that they knew about that is something that I do not know that is that is a realm that I have never existed in but I, I just felt convicted because I'm like, Lord, if there are more things in my life that I need to even let go more of, I want to be able to do that. Because that is also, for myself, that is how I'm learning to trust you. Because I grew up in an incredibly chaotic and unstable childhood. Things and spaces matter a lot to me. My home represents stability. My home represents um like achievement my home represents all these things so ironically my home is where church meets right this open-handed concept rebecca do you have something along the lines for this message what we're talking about right now Um, it was about the yeses and the noes okay do you want to hold on to that and you can share that during the takeaway perfect write it down go get a piece of paper and write it down thank you So he has his experience with this hospitality. And then we're just going to end on this. And it's in, in 14 and 15. It says, if any household or town refuses to welcome you 
or listen to your message, shake its dust off of your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. And what is significant about this chunk is that this idea of anywhere you go, I think that this is Jesus preparing his people to say that there will always be people who will not receive you and receive what you believe in. That means even though I send you out, you should be prepared that there will probably be places that will not welcome you. And they their day will come, but there will essentially be gatherings of people who will not welcome you in with hospitality. And the thing that stuck out to me is that rejection should not surprise us. But for some reason, we act very surprised. Like, I'm always amazed when Christians act really surprised when they're rejected. When we are rejected. And I'm like, Jesus was so clear. There will be people who will not welcome you. Next week, she's going to talk about people who just straight up reject you. He is not, Jesus is not bamboozling anybody. He's just like, so heads up. I'm going to send you out. Don't take anything. You're going to go to someone's house. They're worthy. Stay there. Do your work there. Oh, yeah. And then you're going to go into spaces and they will not receive you. And if they don't, this is what you should do. You should just shake the dust off your feet. Essentially, shake it off and walk away. Shake it off and walk away. And we can get so hung up on all the people who do not, who do not receive when it is clear that there are people who aren't, don't. So my question is, if Jesus is constantly preparing the disciples to face opposition, to meet opposition, if he is clear that there will be people who will not accept the gospel, then if they could expect it, be prepared for it and expect it, then shouldn't we be prepared for it and expect it? So now the question is, what do you do? How do you act when you meet somebody who does not accept you for maybe who you are, what we believe? How do you interact with somebody who does not believe or want to even hear the gospel? I can share first. I can, to to not be offended. Like, the thing is that every person is on a journey. Every person is growing their dynamic. They are learning about themselves. People are learning about them. And they, if, if I meet somebody and I've met people who do not want to receive the gospel, they do not want to hear about it, or they just don't like me because of what I believe, I have to choose to just not be offended. Because at the end of the day, one thing that I've learned is generally people who oppose faith, they're not opposing the idea of Jesus or trying to argue with the validity of who Jesus is. Most of them have been so hurt by people who call Jesus their Lord and Savior that for them, it is not a rejection of Jesus. It's a rejection and experience from what they have 
they have walked through with people who say that they love him. And for me, I can't be offended by that because that that was a real thing for them. And for people who have never even heard of Jesus, never experienced the gospel, and they just don't want to like even be friendly, I have to recognize like I'm not responsible for how they treat me. I am responsible for how I treat them. So how do we treat people who don't agree with us? How do we treat people who disagree with us? Like um, this past two weeks, and then I want other people to share, but this past two weeks, there was, I think like in a world that is continually to becoming more hostile to beliefs, period, mm-hmm. like any beliefs, I think what Tristan said that made me think of that is like you just let your actions speak louder than words that by the way that we live and by the way that we love people that should be what they know is how we love them and then we can have a follow-up conversation about why we love people the way that we do is that we want to put our words before our actions where we live now in a world where our actions come before our words. That when people interact with us, there should be something so unique about the way that we love people and serve people that makes them wonder, but why? And then those are opportunities because at the end of the day, and I say this so much, but I mean it a lot, The world is just really tired about hearing from all these people who say they love Jesus, but treat people terribly. Mm -hmm. Like they've seen enough of that and we have an opportunity to just love people or not like you or accept you. And those are opportunities to either be offended or to pray for them and gain deeper perspective. Like I have some... This idea of Jesus sending out his disciples and sending them out and preparing them, he was very honest. He told them exactly what to do and he was real honest about it. And I think we should follow like the cost of following Christ and the cost of kingdom work. It is this exchange of trust that do we trust God to send us out into our yeses? Do we trust that he will still love us? When in our brokenness, our fear, anxiety, we say no. And I just want to hit home that like when, if you choose to be a parent or if you already are a parent, you think like when the girls, like when my girls say yes or when they say no, when they obey or they disobey, my love for them doesn't change. No parent's love for their child changes when they make good decisions or bad decisions. It is purely, I love you because you're mine. And God's entire pursuit of us is, I love you because you're mine. I love you because I created you. I love you. And we are constantly living in this space where we can either say yes or no to that. But every yes is bringing us into greater adventures of following Christ following God in our lives. And every time we say no, it God doesn't change his love for us, but every no is like more distance. Every no is more resistance. And every no 
is just missed opportunities for you and for me and for us to be doing what we were meant to do, which is to go and preach the gospel. Because very rarely will God say, all right, now, Lindsay, I'm going to need you to go on stage and I'm going to need you to preach the gospel to all 5,000 people. This is also the first time I've asked you to do this and the first time you've ever done this. So now go. Very rarely is it zero to a thousand, but it could be, hey, Lindsay, you see that person over there? I just want you to go and love them. Do you see that mom who is struggling right now? I just want you to go love her and her kids. Like, hey, Tristan, do you see that young man who um, just needs a friend? I want you to go be his friend. Hey, church, do you see these people who have needs and you can meet them? Go and meet them. So these little opportunities, these little opportunities, they say yes, are little opportunities that awaken our soul to do what it was meant to do, which is to participate in kingdom work and participate in that intimacy of relationship, that exchange of trust. And that experience of free will that God loves us so much that we are given this choice. Because Jesus doesn't force us. Jesus does not force me to open up our home. But he invited us to. And every day we say yes to it. But it's this beautiful invitation to intimacy. And that intimacy is that space where we align and we abide with God. And that is what we are meant to participate in. And so now we kind of end um, with my favorite part. 